We're going to come round to God's Word now. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 6 together today. And this is what it says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I'm going to invite Zoe to come and join us. I'm going to pray for you, Zoe, and then we will look forward to hearing what you have to share with us today. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the richness of what we have just heard. We thank you, Lord God, that you are all sufficient for our needs. And as Zoe opens this up today, we pray that we'll be encouraged, that we'll draw closer to you, and we'll hear your voice through what she has to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Can I start by asking you a question? Because I wonder what comes to mind for you when I say the word complete. Where does your mind go? How do you define the word complete? Or what examples could you give me that would demonstrate what you mean by the qualities of this word? Because perhaps my response reveals too much about my personality and about the week that I have had, if I'm honest. Because a part of me genuinely hopes this morning that you can prove me wrong. Because I wonder if there is anything in our world that is ever complete. When you complete on a house, you finish the formal paperwork and you rejoice that you have the keys and the chasing of the solicitors can stop. But then you have to move pack all your belongings, and then the next lot of work starts, the unpacking and the building of a life in a new home. To me, that task is semi-complete. Or maybe you have friends or family members who tell you that their family is complete, and then, at a surprise to them and to you, they have 
another child and then tell you that they didn't know what their family was missing. Is there anything in our world or society that demonstrates this completeness or fullness that Paul is talking about? Because we think about the word fullness for a minute, I might tell you that I'm full just to justify that I am full of savoury food, but I can still eat a dessert. Or maybe someone tells you that they are at full capacity and that actually means that they are already too busy. Or there's a class or an event that is fully booked, but you still email the organisers to see if they can squeeze you in. Your cupboards are full of food just to be dwindled again. I wonder in our world if we know this true sense of completeness or fullness. When a job is finished, is our response to go, is there anything else still to be done? Do we live in a world that a full supply of something is then dwindled or diminished again? Because it's interesting for us to explore, because in our passage today, we are presented with this reality that in Christ, we are offered full completeness, a fullness of life. And I wonder what our response is to that challenge. I wonder if there is a moment of self-doubt that comes in, where we are left asking the question, is Christ really enough? Is he all-sufficient? Do I really lack nothing? And that's what I want us just to think about this morning. Because we're in week three of a series studying this letter that Paul has written to the church in Colossians. And as we're going, we're tracking through this case that Paul is making all about who Jesus is. We're getting the sense that he is building up their faith, encouraging them about who Jesus is, how he is supreme and superior. He is involved in creation in the beginning as, in, as well as still now holding all things together. We know that Paul is writing from prison, having declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he goes on to tell us that his hardship is actually a cause for joy that he is sharing in the same suffering as Christ, and that the Messiah is in all of us, and he is the hope of glory. And as we're studying this encouragement together, we're beginning to understand why Paul is making this case. Today, we face, for the first time, the cultural pressures that they are facing. The stumbling blocks, the two that I'm going to outline for us, he mentions this hollow and deceptive philosophy. And then we come face to face with this discussion about circumcision. And as Paul is addressing these cultural needs for this community, we begin to realize why Paul is making it so abundantly clear who Jesus is. And today we see, her, we see him tell us simply that Christ is enough. No add-ons or extras are needed. He is sufficient. Remember, in chapter 1, we heard together this rich and poetic description that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He, is, he shares in the identity of the creator God. He is the sustainer of life, and he is holding all things together. 
He is the head of the church and he is making all things new. And today we see how Christ is enough. Not in the sense that that will suffice, that will do, is that the best option we've got. Instead, we hear an echo of Psalm 23 ringing out for us to catch on to. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If you hear me say one thing and one thing only this morning, then hear me say this. In Christ, we find completeness. Nothing else is needed. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in him. We're going to study briefly together this case that Paul makes, and we're going to think about four points together. As we draw and ask a personal question, is Christ enough for me? And we're going to explore how God is still at work in us, how he has not forsaken us and doesn't give up on us. Firstly, we're going to see how God is at work in our lives, therefore nothing else is needed. We're going to explore this sense of completeness together. Then we're going to see how God has completely forgiven us, how we're going to look at how Jesus, through what Jesus has done for us, the task is complete. And then we're going to ask this question about contentment. Because I think the main primary thing that Paul outlines in these verses is this sense that in Jesus we find full completeness. We read these verses and sense kind of an exasperation from Paul. You don't need to look elsewhere. You don't need to add anything else on. Whether that's ritualistic laws or customary things from the day, he is saying to them loud and clear, Christ's salvation has been paid in full. Christ's full payment means that we have been made complete. And the term that Paul uses is that Christ brings us into fullness. You don't need to look elsewhere. No other practices are needed. And he picks up on two things going on in the text. He calls out this hollow and deceptive philosophy of the day. And some think that this relates to the the new followers of Jesus, the culture that they have grown up in, known as mystical polytheism. So what do we mean by that? We mean that in the day, there is kind of a practice of worshipping various Greek and Roman gods. And how that would work is they each govern a different part of life, a different arena of human life, if you like. And then Jesus gets added on into the mix as a separate additional deity. So it's almost like they are suggesting Jesus is a side order of chips. And Paul is saying he is the complete dish. That is all you need. And then the next pressure that they are wrestling with is that they are experiencing pressure from the Jewish community. And they are expecting this non-Jewish community, these followers of Jesus, to share in their commitment, their laws of the Torah. And these would include rulings on diet and then this discussion about circumcision. Paul is urging them here that through Jesus, he has fulfilled the law found in the Torah. So Jesus himself said that he came to complete 
not abolish the law. There's that word, completion, again. For Paul, Jesus fulfills all the laws of the Old Testament, which never had the power to transform the selfish human heart anyway. And there is evidently a voice saying to the Colossians that they need to be circumcised, as that is previously has been like a crucial marker that identifies them to be a part of God's people and part of his covenantal blessing. We see that this kind of minor operation, so I'm told, has major significance as a sign of obedience to God. But in this passage, Paul talks about circumcision not performed by human hands. So we presume instead performed by God. And how we know God is interested in the state of our human heart. And so we see here that there is something going on about the circumcision of the heart. Meaning that Paul is making a radical and revolutionary teaching point here. That circumcision is meaningless unless it signifies a cleansed heart only made possible through what Jesus has done and his work and his spirit transforming our lives. For many in this day, in this time, circumcision signified that they belonged. It gave them an identity and they could identify with God. But in these verses, we understand where our new identity comes from. Paul effectively says that we have been circumcised by Christ because we have been buried with him in baptism. Then we have been raised from the dead through placing our faith in him, the one who himself was raised from the dead. So when we go through the waters of baptism, publicly declaring our faith in Christ, we are following and identifying with Christ's example and we are showing others the transforming work he has done in our lives. Baptism signifies how we die to our old self and are raised to life again in Christ. And this teaching is really familiar for us, but for this community, it's radical. It's transformative. In Christ, they find completeness. Nothing else is needed. So the second thing I think we see in this passage is Paul present a case that through Jesus we find complete forgiveness. And there is some beautiful language in this passage that I just want to draw out for a moment. I want us to linger on and I wonder what comes to mind for you. Because Paul calls out to them by saying, did you not know that you were dead? but now you are alive. Before you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, yet you are made alive in Christ. The verse goes on to say, he forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. So in those verses, what do you see? What comes to mind when you hear those verses read out? For me, I see Christ almost performing CPR. We were dead, but now we are alive. And then we see this great image of debt 
debt that has been paid, someone in chains unable to move, unable to repay this insurmountable debt. If it's a legal debt, maybe you're picturing a a court case, a courtroom, where you're being sentenced, and I can see a kind of a line of people ready to testify against me. But then we hear the words cancelled, and the notice or the charge that has been made payable, made out to me, someone else has taken. Someone else has taken that debt away and has freed me. There's no greater turnaround from dead to alive, from in debt to free. And here we see it in our passage. Christ offers us complete forgiveness. And I wonder this morning if anyone is is wrestling with that niggling feeling of, am I really forgiven? Hear the words that you were dead, but now you have been made alive in Christ. Our debt has been paid and we get to run free. Amen. And thirdly, we see how the task is really complete. Jesus is enough. What he's done is enough. Nothing else is needed. We have been completely forgiven. We were dead and now we've been made alive in Christ. And it's almost as if the Spirit is saying to us this morning, just in case you don't believe it, there is such a thing as a completed task. I want us to read verse 15 again to see how this comes to life. And again, what images you can see. Not only is the task complete, there is a triumphant victory. Verse 15 states, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does this mean, I wonder? The Colossians used to live in fear of spiritual powers and elements, or elemental spirits, as Paul refers to them. But he is sharing the good news that Jesus has triumphed over them through his death and resurrection. In the church, sometimes we use this phrase to uh, explain the times that we are now living in. Have you heard the now and not yet phrase about talking about the kingdom before? And it's a phrase we use to explain that we live in a time after the the death and resurrection and the victory of the cross, but before the new creation that we know and promised. We live in, in this tension of living in a broken world, yet we are called to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth. And as we think about that for a moment, In Ephesians 6, we read about the armour of God, and we get told to reframe our mindset again, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And although this is true and relevant and very real, we are equipped for this battle because we have the armour of God, but because the battle has already been won. I want us to see through this verse this morning that the task is complete, but will be brought to full completion. Christ has disarmed these powers, these authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them through death on the cross. The name of Jesus is powerful. And I want us to picture a scene, and it's a flawed analogy, so go with me, that maybe a political party storms such a decisive victory that the other party has been made a spectacle of. They've been made an embarrassment, a disgrace. And it's very, very clear who has the power. That's what I think Paul is getting at in this verse. Jesus has stormed a victory, has completed the task, and the powers and evil authorities have been made an embarrassment, a disgrace. And we picture this scene knowing who has the victory, knowing the task is complete, knowing that what Jesus has done for us is enough. So what do we see in our passage today? I want to suggest that we see completeness. In Christ, we are made complete. Nothing else is needed. No other rituals, no other laws, no other add-ons. We find complete forgiveness. We were dead, but now we are alive. And the task really is complete. Jesus really has done enough and has the victory. So what difference does this make to our lives, I wonder? In Christ, we have been brought to fullness, Paul confidently says in verse 10. So I just want us to look inwardly and think personally for a moment as we land. What difference does it make that Christ makes us complete, that we are completely forgiven? Paul starts this passage off that we've studied together by sharing this verse from verse 6, an instruction for us to live by. So then, he says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. So the final picture I want us to see is this picture of what it means to live a full life. We are to be like a plant that draws its resources from deep roots. We are to be rooted in Christ. And then the metaphor changes, I think, and we're told to be built up and strengthened in the faith, almost like a construction site so that we see God is still at work in us. We are not the finished article yet. God is at work in us, building our faith. And then the sign for me that we are being rooted in Christ and built up in the faith, that God is still at work in us, is that we overflow with thankfulness. This bubbling up, this overflowing with thankfulness, 
The picture that the psalmist gives us, again in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. That's fullness of life, isn't it? Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says that he has learnt what it means to be content in all circumstances. And I wonder if this is what contentment looks like. That we are rooted in Christ, being built up in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness, knowing that the secret is Christ is enough. That nothing else is needed and that in him we are completely forgiven, and that he has the final word. Hear Jesus' words on the cross again. It is finished. Today hear that Christ is enough. In him we find completeness. Nothing else is needed. Today we know that we can find complete forgiveness in him. The task for us is to live out the fact that he has completed the task, that he has the final word, to follow a God who has the victory, who made a public spectacle over the powers and authorities. And know the Jesus that wants you to live with fullness of life. Have deep roots in him, be built up in him, and overflow with thankfulness the difference that he is making to your lives. In a moment, I'm going to ask Luke to help us respond, and the band are going to lead us in a song that is um, known to a few of us, we've sung it at our baptism services, that Christ is enough. But as I pray, I sense this morning that there is a, a challenge for us to live a contented life to live with this thankfulness for what Christ has done in our lives, to look for him for everything we need. So can we pray together? Jesus Christ, we declare that you are enough. In you we live and find our being. We thank you again for the all-sufficient sacrifice that you have made on the cross. Father, thank you that that doesn't leave us deficient. I pray that our hearts would overflow with thankfulness now as we respond in worship. May we know your presence leading and guiding us, stirring us to declare and show you as our source of contentment, I pray. Father God, thank you for the truth and the promise that you are still at work in us. Building, building and strengthening your church, calling us to live a life that shows your fullness. And Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.